Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. Welcome to another fantastic episode of Tasting Anarchy. I'm your host, Jacob Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by Mason Joseph. And uh, this week, I didn't take notes, but I do have some articles to talk about, and I think I've got a pretty good wine that I may have already shared, mm-hmm. uh, but everybody can stay tuned for, for that wine. Mason, how have you been this week? I've been doing pretty good, you know. Yeah. I, I from, from some our projects at the house. Yeah, yeah. From our, mm-hmm. our previous 30 minutes of conversation, it sounds like things are going pretty well in yeah. uh, your neck of the woods. Yeah. Uh, any uh, any of the rioters uh, bothering you in suburbia, Virginia? Uh, like I ran into, um, like, so when things reopened a couple weeks ago, we were like, we want to go to Kelly's. So we go down to Kelly's, and of course, everyone else had the same idea because it was wonderful weather. So we said, let's go to Kelly's in Virginia Beach. Yeah, and you know the way you used to go to work, where you would go down like. Uh, like Brambleton. Yeah. Like we got there just as they were like taking over an intersection, but no one was riding. Like it was a, it was a peaceful protest. So it was, was, you know, like I thought it was annoying because it like inconvenienced me and it just started, you know, it wasn't like I could have looked it up or something like that. And I had like intentionally taken the, a less direct route from where we were. I could have gone and gotten on the highway faster, so it ended up taking us forever to get out there. Um, and then the one in Virginia beach, like Ashley went up to like see about getting a table and no one spoke to her at all. She stood there for a couple minutes. So she oh, okay. came back. So we ended up going to Sonic instead. <laughs> so, uh, oh, all right. <laughs> it's kind of like inconvenience and an all right burger. And then like when we were, where we were at, like the Sonic we were at, which was across the street from the Kelly's up by my parents' house, like the sun was coming down. So it was giving us both like a huge headache. <laughs> So mm. it's just like, ah, but other than that, yeah, no, like no property damage. I mean, uh, there's a, like a very, uh, popular video going around where they like destroyed the Confederate monument in Portsmouth, like right near the beer garden. Oh yeah. And, uh, the head, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. The head fell and took out a guy oh. and he's in like a coma. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. The well, last, last victim of the civil war. Yeah. You know, and that was kind of the thing is like, you know, like when the, cause you know, I, we live in the South um, and people are like talking about taking down the statues and all that stuff. And like my annoyance is like the reasoning for taking down the statues isn't these are government and they're waste of money and they should be removed and the land turned back over. It's we're just going to tear them down because we're going to tear down stuff. And it's like, right. like I get it. Like, but it also pisses me off because like any of the cleanup now I've got to pay for. And like, if they replace the statue with something, I've got to pay for that too. And, you know, it's kind of like all those buildings that like the federal government was building where they all look like modern and they're all kind of just a waste of money. And Trump's like, no, 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 we're going back to the, the classical style. And it's like, how would you right. stop building buildings altogether? <laughs> like, yeah. Just digitized. Nobody actually has to be there. Corona's yeah. proven that. Corona proved that we don't even have to be there. I mean, Corona proved that we don't need half the government we have. <laughs> like, that's, that's true. That's true. And actually, like, from our, the from articles our pers- I have this week yeah. re- reference that. So, oh. Well, they, re- they reference stuff the government, some problems the government caused. <laughs> but we'll, we'll get into that in a second after I find out what you're sipping on tonight. So I had, and this is... Cupe, Q-U-P-E is the wine brand. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like on their website now trying to like get this like a little bit better, but um, it's the Los uh, Velos QV. Um, so it's a 2013. It's 60 something uh, Syrah, 24% uh, Madorve or Morvedre. Yeah. And then uh, 15% oh, yeah, Grenache. Yeah. So it's like a Southern Rhone style blend. Um I got it from the the wine club that my parents got me the like thing for this year. So I mean, it's uh, 2013. So you know, it's like seven plus uh, years old. It, I mean, it was a, a good red blend. Um, it it kind of 
like I've got these little stoppers, not like the airtight ones that you have, but I've got ones mm-hmm. that should be relatively airtight. And I think this one I should have recorked. It, it just, it wasn't as aggressive as I thought it would be. And it was at first. And then like, it tasted a little weird tonight. So, you know, it's just one of those ones where I'm like, this is a little off, but it was still really good. Like, and I think it was off because of my handling of it, not from the wine itself. So dark red, you know, but not like black. Um, the Syrah, like I I do like Syrah a lot and, you know, we both really like Grenache. Um, uh, or Vedre, like I'm not as familiar with it. I know you've had them because in the Rhone blends and the others that you get, like it's kind of pops up every once in a while. Yeah. So, um, I, overall like pretty good. It looks like on this website, the 2016 is available and you can buy it directly from them for $28. Uh, dollars. Um, mm-hmm. so like the, like the wine club I got, I'm sure it was significantly less than that. Uh, but apparently if you buy 12 bottles or more from these people, you get a one, one cent shipping. So, okay. That's kind of cool. Yeah. 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 So I, I like my bed. I, I think it's, it's a good, it's a good grape. Uh, I was going to do a grape of the week this week, but I didn't get all the research done for that. So I think we'll end up you, doing you that later. You trying to save your house's value. Yeah. That's, that's not a problem. That's, well, trying to get, yeah, trying to get the drains unclogged and, and weird, a weird thing. But also I, I, you know, speaking of things reopening, uh, the, Massage envy reopened, so I wanted to go get a massage. Although the, the whole process, so the massage ended up being really good, but the whole process of getting a massage now is like way complicated. <laughs> so it's like you have to like you have to bring a mask with you, but you don't have to wear the mask when you're face down. But you have to wear the mask when you're face up. But you can't come into the office unless, and then they have to like call you while you're in the parking lot to fill out whatever paperwork you have to fill out, and mm-hmm. you have to like. I hereby swear that I, Jacob Lindsay, have not had a temperature of more than 100 in the last 14 days, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, I, I get it. I mean, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to protect yourself from liability, but at the same time, it's kind of annoying. But the massage turned out to be really good. So uh, it's like then, worth it, but not in some senses. Cause like if, if it was, yeah. If massage well, and well, it's like if massage envy as a corporation had been doing this the entire time, you're like, okay, that's just what you pay to do it. But you know, like they're only doing it because of like all the government stuff. Well, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's all just, yeah, it's liability. It's, it's, they don't want to get sued and they want to make sure that their, their booties are covered. So, yeah. and, uh, but you know, anyway, so yeah, that's why, that's why. So, but maybe Movedre would be a good one to, to do a review of. If we haven't done one already, this seems like one that I would have picked, but. I, um, I couldn't say for sure. Yeah. I, I don't know for sure either. And, and I'll, I'll look, I'll look through them, but maybe I'll do that one next week. That'd be, that'd be a, a fun one to do. Uh, I've got, I've got two things I kind of wanted to share this week. Mm-hmm. One is like an honorable, an honorable mention. It's a beer. From a local brewery, oh, in Dallas, Deep Ellum, and uh, they've got a pretty good one now. It's called uh, man, what, I have the can here, but I don't remember what it's called. Uh, Hazy enough India Pale Ale. Uh, it's the thing is like I've been calling this alcohol level sessionable these days, even though it is not sessionable. It's six point five percent ABV. It is a a good, just a good IPA. It's it is a hazy. It's it's got a lot more of that kind of like fruitiness to it that hazies have typically. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of tropical fruit and stuff. Uh, I just thought it would be a good honorable mention. It's the first time I've seen it in stores, so I picked it up and I like Deep Ellum. Uh, despite when I went to them the other day, they were closed because of COVID. Still, but I think that's more of a Dallas thing, not a them thing. Mm-hmm. Um, could be, I don't know. But uh, so I picked that up at the store. I thought it was pretty good. And uh, so I thought I'd give an honorable mention of that. But to the wine, I may have also reviewed this one before, but I kind of forgot I had it. I, I still have two bottles of it, and it is the uh, Sutherland Cabernet Sauvignon. It is uh, from um, is from the Thelma Vineyard in South Africa mm. in the Elgin region, which is a cooler climate than um, most of the wines that you that typically come out of south africa i'm pretty um, positive we've done this one 
Yeah, I, I thought I thought maybe I had, but like when I was going through my wine cupboard, I was or the bar, I was like, I was like, you know what? I just feel like a good Cabernet Sauvignon, and I remembered that this one was a pretty good one, and um, so I went ahead and picked picked this one out. It's uh, it's held out really well. It's a 2015. This actually used to retail for quite a bit more money. I'm looking at prices now, though. It's it's down to about fifteen dollars a bottle, which I, that to me means that it's either not available, and that was just what it sold for last, or people don't like it as much as I like it, or maybe they um, think it's peaked. You know what I mean? Like it's hit the. Uh, that's actually, that's a good, that's a good thought too. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's the other thing. Yeah. Maybe they think it's peaked. Um, but I I would say that this is for people who are, who like cab, but are not really into the, the strong tannins. This would be a very good one to do. So it's a much more, uh, velvety medium bodied cab sob. It's definitely Mm -hmm. cab sob and it does have those tannins, but it's not like the strong ones that you get from, you know, Lodi, which you and I love the Lodi cabs. Um, it doesn't have that like full punch in the face tannins and fruit flavor uh it definitely is very fruity it's definitely new world it's a lot of plum a lot of blueberry uh which you i don't usually taste blueberry this to me has a lot of that but it's mostly plum and blackberry um a little bit of that kind of spiciness to it but not a lot and uh i i recommend it i think it's very good if if you see one they've got other vintages obviously uh so mm-hmm. It might be it might be an interesting one to try out. I might try a different year if I see it somewhere. And I think it's widely available. I think Total Wine has it. So uh, this one I got uh, from Last Bottle Wines, which uh, shout out to whoever bought from Last Bottle Wines because we had another $30 credit, which I promptly spent <laughs> on um, – I can't remember what I spent it on, but something unusual. So, yeah, so something came up and I was like, oh, I got a credit. I'm going to buy that. Speaking uh, of so, which, how do they get that credit? Uh, if they go over to tastinganarchy.com, they can click on the link in the center of the page and that will bring them over to Last Bottle Wines. And if they sign up, they will get a $10 credit on their first order and we will get a nice kickback. Mm-hmm. So check that out. We've actually, I think we've gotten, I think maybe, it's maybe a, probably over $100. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and uh, just decent stuff. Uh, I'll tell you guys what the special is right now since we're talking about them. Uh, right. Oh man, I shouldn't have looked. Because <laughs> it's something I want. So they have uh, Rocky Pond Le Dominique Red. It's a uh, it's a 2016. It's twenty dollars a bottle on Last Bottle Wine. Normally it retails for fifty, and it is a Bordeaux style blend out of Washington State. So this is definitely one that I'm interested in. I will probably not buy it. And um, but it's a and I'll tell you what the last one that I ordered was. Let me log in real quick. Mm-hmm. The last one that I ordered was oh, it was a Malbec from Argentina. So I got the mm. uh, the Finca Mang- Mangato Las Estelas Malbec Alto de las Pierdas, the twenty seventeen. Uh, it is uh, from Appellation Tupangato, which I have not had. Uh, it's one hundred percent Malbec. And it is uh, an estate blend, or it's not an estate blend, it's 100%, but it's estate grown, uh, aged in barrels for 10 months, 20% new French oak, 60% second hand French oak or used, and 20% no oak. Uh, and that one retailed for $15 a bottle, normally $50 a bottle. So um, that, I thought that was a good deal, and it was interesting. I don't get a lot of uh, Argentinians, and I like Malbec, so I decided uh, I would go with that. Yeah, Malbec is good. So, yep. So you may be getting some Malbec Heritage Kombucha in the mail in mm. the not so distant future. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. before we get into the articles, do you want to? We just we well maybe we'll do one article and then we'll list we'll hear a word from our new sponsor. Yeah. One so article. I, yeah, I think we'll do the one art one article and then hear from a sponsor and then uh, do into the other article and head on out. All right, so uh, this one is interesting. I think. Um, are you familiar with uh, Camus Vineyards? They're they're in uh, Napa. No, I'm not. Okay, uh, I don't think they're super popular. They they have they have a tasting room, and uh, I I've heard them before a little bit. I think 
Mm-hmm. Um, but they're they're out of Napa, and um, if if I'm if I'm thinking of the correct one, but anyways, so as part of the lockdowns uh, in California, wineries were not allowed to give tastings anymore. Okay, and that you know, no matter what you or I think about it, that makes sense. That you know, if that's what if that's what the government believed was going on, then you know, yeah, they, they would it's lock not like down. it's not like wine like if. If no one else could do it, why should wineries suddenly be able to do it? I, you know, exactly. So the so Camus Winery, they ended up after the. Well, I guess we got to step back a little bit. So they they started reopening California not too long ago, and as part of the reopening, restaurants were allowed to reopen, and um, there's there's several things that were allowed to reopen, but one of the things was restaurants. And as part of restaurants reopening was wineries that served sit down meals, mm-hmm. but not wineries that only did taste things. Hmm. And so uh, Chuck Wagner, founder and president of Camus Vineyards, filed suit against Gavin Newsom, saying that this was discriminatory practice against wineries that do not offer food. And that to me makes sense because, and in his own words, quote, if it's safe for restaurants and other wineries to serve meals, it's undeniably safe for wineries to open for tastings. And that was his, that was what he was quoted as saying, and uh, it makes sense. And so the, the suit was filed and it was moving forward but we have some new news about that because I wanted to actually talk about this last time, but we ended up doing more of a, a Texas-focused episode. Mm-hmm. But uh, as of, let's see, this is an article out of Napa Valley Register, and it was on 14 hours ago. So it was, it was on the, oh no, it was updated 14 hours ago. It was first published on the 11th. So... Uh, he went ahead and withdrew his lawsuit because Gavin Newsom basically rescinded that order and said, okay, yeah, you can, if you serve food, you could open, which means most wineries can reopen because they also serve some, you know, uh, yeah. yeah, finger foods or whatever to eat with it for, to do the tasting. So, so what do you think? To me, this is kind of the, the government conceding that they were retarded and that uh, prohibiting wineries that didn't offer full meals was uh, an oversight to be generous, I guess, and that it doesn't make sense to not allow places that serve drinks to not serve drinks if uh, food is not served as well. What, what well, do you think me, on that? Let me go devil's advocate. Okay. Slightly. Okay. So, and this isn't, so like the idea would be in my head, like when we were at the uh, the winery at Childerberg, mm-hmm. they served food as in they sold prepackaged meal style stuff. Whereas, mm-hmm. so like there's no prep. Whereas like a restaurant restaurant where they already have to adhere to like certain cleaning standards based on having a, you know, like a inspection license or whatever, you know, a food handling license basically. So, like, I could see, like, the logic being that we know that these people are maintaining a certain level of standard, and if we inspect them and they're not, you know, that sort of nonsense. I don't agree with it. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I don't agree with it necessarily, but I think that would be kind of the logic that they may have been using. So, it's not really, like, an oversight. I think it's intentional because it's it's kind of like people are like, you know, it's like the government always seems to think it's effective, so they're saying like, no, 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 we are effective. So our food handling certificates and all these things where like, you know, we inspect these people to make sure they know how to handle food. So that means that we can trust them to like not get people sick. But it's like, but also from that standpoint, like you were saying, like the they, they kind of the current rules of the game that as far as they can tell with the spreading of COVID is it's directly aerosoled from somebody like sneezing and coughing. So (laughs) whether you served a full meal, (laughs) you know, cheese doodles in a package or just wine, 
you would still have the same problems if somebody with actual COVID showed up. Right. Like from the way we understand the transmission. So like, I think it's one of those ones where I don't necessarily think it's the government. Like, I don't think they were afraid of his lawsuit because I think his lawsuit was too small unless he's like a a, a very, unless he like, you know, if he had like, um, like if the glove don't fit, you can't acquit guy. Yeah. You know, if he had, yeah, if he had like somebody like Johnny Cochran or some, huge lawyer backing him and it was just going to be a huge ordeal like California's broke you and I agree but California's not broke so defending and you know obfuscating and making life annoying for this guy on trying to pursue this lawsuit probably is still easily within their means so well, see yeah and one of the things that I thought about it was maybe what they were concerned with was um basically never ending class action lawsuits. Yeah. And and just like if this one continued, then it would just be never ending. They they would just keep getting them they and then it would just tie everything up. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's probably a fairer thing. And again, like it also may be that they weren't even necessarily like they may have not been um they may not even have really been considering this lawsuit. They may have just been going like, Oh, we'll have a bunch of other ones. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, Oh, somebody's suing us on this already. Like, you know, that sort of thing where so I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that ended up being the case where it's, they, they weren't really paying attention to anybody doing something. They were just saying, okay, yeah, we're, we're getting out of this. Cause we, we need to be done with this. And then yeah, that, like, yeah. In my opinion, if it were me, I wouldn't have stopped the lawsuit. I would be suing for the lost revenue that they inflicted upon me on like something that's basically kind of being proven out to be an overreaction and no proof that they actually did anything. Right. So, well, actually, that was for you know. Shout out to the Soho Forum. People can go listen to. Hang on, let me close the door a little bit. People can go listen to uh, that Soho forum debate about uh, whether or not the the lockdowns was uh, a irresponsible overreaction or not. Uh, they had an epidem- epidemiologist arguing in the affirmative that yes, it was a an overreaction and that it cost more deaths than if they had not closed down, and that at the time that they decided to close down, that they knew. Um, well, they didn't know it would cause more deaths necessarily, but he said if you took any sort of deeper look, uh, you would have been able to extrapolate that it probably would have caused more deaths. Mm-hmm. And that, and then the uh, negative was a guy from John Hopkins, and he was saying that, no, this saved millions of lives, and even though we're probably going to see thousands of people die as a result of these lockdowns, it was worth it because in the long run, we actually saved more so there there is a lot of back and forth on that. I mean as as you know libertarian anarchists we don't really agree with the government being able to enforce that. I think that uh it's pretty clear that even before the lockdowns happened there were people who were, you know, quote unquote socially distancing. I don't really like that term, but um like it doesn't make any sense. They're not socially distancing, they're physically distancing. Like social yeah. dis- like people were still talking online and on the phone and all that sort of stuff. It's not social distancing. It's just <laughs> it's physical. Di- it doesn't make sense to me. It just, no, it you, me, you're, you're 100% in your complaint. Like, yeah, you're, you're saying exactly what's right there. There's so much wrong with the statement on top of the other things that we have problems with it on. Right. So let me go ahead and read, read, um, uh, Chuck Wagner's uh, final quotes, I guess, on it that he uh, gave to the Napa Valley Register so we kind of know uh, his final thoughts. And he said, um, we filed this, this suit not just for ourselves, but also in defense of many great small wineries in our area and across the state that are struggling. And we are very pleased with the development, ensuring fair and equal opportunity for our local industry. We take our responsibility for health and safety of our customers and employees very seriously and will follow or exceed all county and state guidelines. Most important to us is seeing all the happy faces of our staff and patrons, even though, uh, even through face coverings. So that's his quote. 
Uh, for anybody who is out in the Napa Valley area, if you want to go check out Camus, they uh, have opened up their doors as of June 6th, and the winery is waiving all tasting fees for guests through June, uh, which that I guess that means you've got, what, uh, seven, 16 days? Yeah, 16 days more. Yeah. Speaking and, of um, things through June, before we have mm-hmm. our other uh, ad, because we're kind of wrapping up this article, don't forget, if you donate to freeross.org and post the screen capture to our Childerberg Twitter, I uh, will be matching up to the first $100 at the end of June. So it's just through June of 2020. We're hoping okay. to get yeah, that, to a that's full $800 donated to freeross.org through Childerberg. Yeah, I think that, that'll be awesome. Uh, let's go ahead and play our new sponsor. Mm-hmm. Hi folks, Dan Reed here, the host of the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. During the show's tenure, I've spoken to celebrated authors of baking and economics. I've chatted with bakers and chefs and libertarians alike to introduce you to people who provide a mix of ideas to build your skills in the kitchen, as well as tempt your appetite toward liberty. Type culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts into your browser search bar and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. I look forward to hearing from you. All right. So that's uh, the first commercial that we've done. This is actually something that Nikki P came up with where we will be doing ad exchanges. So uh, hopefully people will hear our ad on other podcasts and come over and listen to a little tasting anarchy. That was, um, I don't know if you've listened to the culinary libertarian. His show is really good. I've listened to a lot. He actually, it's, uh, I would say even better at not being a libertarian show than our show, but also (laughs) being a libertarian show, I think. Mm -hmm. So, cause he is a, uh, uh, was a, like a legit chef and everything like that. And he's got really good advice for, um, like how to cook. Like, so like, I'll give an example is one was like how to cut biscuits correctly so that they fluff up instead of being flat, mm-hmm. which apparently is like a, a way of cutting, which I never realized that. And, uh, so he's got like really cool advice about that and like different things about cooking biscuits, using lard instead of margarine or when to use margarine or when to use butter versus lard and like mm-hmm. things like that. So, uh, just a lot of really good advice. It's a great show. Uh, and we're happy that he is, uh, I guess, our sponsor for our show. Yeah. So uh, go listen to the Culinary Libertarian. Um, I, I, I agree. I have thought. not had a chance to listen to him, um, mainly because I, since I don't do the cooking, but it's also one of those ones where, like, I do watch a lot of, like, when I go to do, like, you know, smoke something, I do, like, kind of just go on, um, youtube but i should definitely check him out to make you know see ahead of time because it definitely would be a probably a more reliable place for information let's say yeah well actually you know your wife might be interested in it because he does have like interest yeah you do mostly like outdoor cooking but Mm -hmm. your wife does a lot of indoor cooking and he has a lot of just good advice of of how to use it's not, it's not only recipes and stuff like that. It's a lot of more like conceptual things, like how mm-hmm. to do certain things to make your food turn out better. Yeah. Uh, and, and also he also buys his wine from last bottle wines. Ooh. And so he and I chat about that once in a while on uh, Twitter. So nice. Uh, you can also follow him on Twitter because he, he's a cool guy. I, I like the show a lot. I think that, I think the concept is really good. And, and as you and I talked about this is that, uh, I think that, uh, libertarian culture needs to i guess increase a little bit which is like our involvement as libertarians in not just you know arm what do they call it armchair philosophy armchair quarterbacking philosophy and stuff okay. yeah 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 no, 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 and, like, and, more, and more like more like you know it's not it's not that we're not doing anything because like you and i both work and we both you know make money and stuff like that speaking of which futures are down um but uh <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so like, I, I like the idea of his show because I feel like the, it's kind of in the same vein as our show that it's, it's not specifically about libertarianism, but it's about other things going on in the world that could potentially also involve libertarianism. Yeah. But it, it you know? has it through the men or through the libertarian bent, like where yeah, exactly like, keep these things in mind when ass- assessing these things. 
Right, right. Um, so I wanted to get into our next article because uh, it is political, but it is not political. It's more of a uh, sort of commentary on how much politics permeates um, like every facet of our lives. So are you familiar with the AAWE, uh, the American Association of Wine Economists? I was not until you sent me the, like you sent me that message today. That okay. You were, we were going to talk kind of about something from them. So, yeah. Yeah. So this is an interesting organization. I follow them on Twitter. They post just a lot of, a lot of charts and things like that. Basically it's like uh, cities in America that buy the most of this type of wine or what city has the, the largest variety of wine purchases and things like that. So like, that's a lot of it, mm-hmm. but they also, per, they also post um, things like wine industry, top 20 contributors to X campaign mm-hmm. campaign. Or whatever, you know. And so they they had a tweet on June 5th that was titled uh, Wine Industry's Top 20 Contributors to the Donald Trump 2016 and 2020 Campaign. Mm-hmm. And in that list is, is a whole bunch of them. And and actually, when you when you kind of go down it, some of this stuff kind of makes sense because they also do have it broken down, not just by person, but also by uh, by city. And mm-hmm. so, like the number, the top donor donor is from New York, New York, actually, and it's um, it's it's a uh, chairman of Wine Spectator, uh, which I used to subscribe to Wine Spectator. Uh, I don't there. It's 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 a good magazine. It's it's not really for me because I'm not doing collecting as much, mm-hmm. but um, it is really interesting. And they do give like a forward look when they're like, Hey, what's going to be good this year and stuff. So I thought that was really interesting that the chairman of wine spectator was uh, a, a large contributor to Donald Trump. But what I want, it, they go down this whole list or whatever. And, and what do you think the, the topic of what I want to talk about is today? This is, it's related to this list. It has, it happened after this list was posted. Uh, and it ha- and it has to do with a winery in Oregon. <laughs> I would imagine it's been burned to the ground. Yeah. So basically, cancel culture saw the list, flipped out, and um, basically, this was a there was a very popular winery in Portland, Oregon. Uh, it is uh, Domaine Serene. Uh, they produce. I've never actually had any of their wine, but from all accounts, they produce uh, very good Chardonnay and very good Pinot Noir, and, and that makes sense because it's Oregon. Uh, and they were a restaurant favorite and a store favorite uh, for Portland, and people really liked them. They, they had a lot of uh, good wines, but on this list, they came in at let's see, um, they came in at number four on the list. Uh, so, Drain, D- Domain Serene Vineyards and Winery, uh, Grace Evanstead, uh, she contributed $50,000 to a super PAC that supports Trump. And that's a lot of money, but uh, I don't know how wealthy she is, so that may not be you know a huge amount of money. But it's you know clearly it's a cause that she either believes in or believes that she'll get some sort of benefit from. But in Oregon, that is a no-no. And as soon as that was that list was posted. Um, they uh basically they just started getting like torn apart by the the locals in Portland. Uh, a lot of places canceling their um, orders for their wine and saying that they won't carry it anymore, or serve it anymore. Um, but they also uh they but as a result they also posted a response and their response said, uh, for thirty years integrity, inclusion, and commitment. To uh, continuous improvement have served as the bedrock of our core values as we've built a winery rooted in community. However, to exercise these values in our work of wine uh, of winemaking is not enough. We must amplify these commitments in every facet of our civic partnership. Uh, and this past week has been a glaring reminder of this need. We have been listening and considering how we as a winery and as a community committed to inclusion can rise to this uh, moment and meet the needs of uh, BIOPOC 
which is uh, I don't it's 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 a it's an anti-racist organization. I, I can't remember what it stands for. It's it's in the article. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So uh, anyway, so B I P O C uh, fight systematic injustice and implement improvements at domains uh, at domain serene to bring even more diversity and opportunity to both our community and the wine industry at large. Uh, then our team or our care for you, the members of our team and our society demand action in this moment. We are actively developing a comprehensive plan to do our part to be anti-racist through education and civil discourse and commit ourselves to investing in organizations who are advancing systematic change and opportunities for BIPOC communities. This it has something to do with uh, POC is people of color. I don't know what the BI is for. I, I'll, I'll look back through the article and figure that out. Anyways, uh, we will be sharing these commitments with you in the days and weeks to come. Uh, as we make steps towards change, we will continue to listen. We will continue to seek continuous improvement. And we acknowledge that we together carry the burden for change that we seek. So to me, that sounds like uh, they're capitulating to the mob. Um, whether, you know, that's... Uh, I don't know. It, it it seems like it's kind of a that they that they just kind of. Uh, I mean, to me, it honestly said sounded like they said nothing. Yeah, they didn't say anything, but they were that they, they were putting out a statement to basically be like, "Hey, we're committed to anti racism or whatever." Now, did they did they withdraw the money from the Trump campaign? It doesn't says it doesn't say that they do. Um, and apparently, it didn't help because uh, Twitter is still outraged. Um, <laughs> But I don't know. It, it uh, there there was actually a bunch of people then like tweeting that are like in the wine that are like wine tasters and stuff like that, and they were and they're like they're like oh I've avoided that place because it looks too opulent, um, and, and apparently like it is a very very fancy winery, mm-hmm. but uh, you know it's just one of those things where it's like it's it, it's unfortunate. I mean, like you and I will go to. Like we would, well, we we frequented like breweries and stuff like that when we lived out in Virginia, and some of them did not share our politics. I'm thinking Young Veterans Brewing in particular, mm-hmm. um, and not that I have anything in particular against veterans, but I don't like the worship of the military industrial complex. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you avoid all contact with people that you may or may not agree with, then. Uh, you never get an opportunity to talk to them and either change their mind or have your mind changed. And um, I think that's kind of unfortunate in our discourse. And it's also unfortunate that it kind of leaks over into things like wine. Uh, I, I, you know, this is a person who, you know, Grace uh, Evanstead gave $50,000 clearly because she believed in this cause or because she thought it would benefit her in some way. She's a female involved in the wine industry, which is not super common. And this is kind of uh, basically it, it didn't ruin her business and it probably won't ruin her business because they make good wine, but it, it's kind of the, this whole outrage mob culture is just really, I think, unfortunate and, and kind of gross. I don't I, like that. I think that's more like, I've been thinking about it a lot lately. It's, it's not so much that I, it's not that I don't, I think it's unfair or anything like that, which it kind of is, but like, it's, it's just gross. I just don't like it. Like it's people like people should be able to get along with each other, even if they disagree on things. And it just is annoying to me. Yeah. And that, that the thing that like, one of the things that drives me insane is people are basically, you have to tow the party line. And if you step outside of the party line, it's the end of the world. But this is one of those ones where for the most part, what I think a lot of people don't seem to get is Twitter doesn't really matter. Right. Like there are so many people reacting to what's on Twitter. And to me, it's kind of like the, 
the government's report on corruption and the government's response to its report on corruption that said basically it was super corrupt. Mm-hmm. It's like, we get it. You're a corrupt organization. Why are you even like, we're going to respond to this outrage when it says that we've been doing all this bad stuff. You know what I mean? Like that's what right. kind of drives me nuts um, is who cares? Like, and that's what everyone is like. So like my, you know, my neighbors across the street, like they're, you know, they go out, they do thrifting and they do, they flip furniture and they're, they're very good at it. But like, they're from like the Midwest and the wife is from a particularly like she, like there was a 1400 person graduating class and there were only like 200 white kids in the school. And like, you know, people she grew up with and she's super good friends with, and she's not racist in the slightest. Um, and you know, they're like people on her Facebook are saying like people who aren't posting that they stand with black people. We see you. And it's like, what, like, what does this mean? Like, what do you think you're saying with this sort of nonsense? So that, that's one of the things. Yeah. It it is. It's definitely yeah, and, and it's and it's and it, you know you and I have talked about this a lot. It's one of those things where like I kind of think, it, and it goes back to this thing that I always talk about, where I don't think that people in the United States are speaking the same English anymore, and I just don't think it means the same thing anymore. Like it, I don't think what we it, it's not even that they're talking the same English. It's that like what I when I say something, what somebody that maybe is a complete different political opinion of mine hears Mm -hmm. is just something completely different and same thing and vice versa. Like I think when they say something and I hear it, I'm like, that makes zero sense to me and, and vice versa. They, they think when when I say something, they're just like, they're like, they think, Oh, you're saying something racist or, or whatever, you know, or like they're, Um, they're not even thinking crazy. Like it doesn't even seem like they're saying that anymore. It's just this, it's just this way to basically say, I don't have to listen to you, but you have to listen to me. Like, I, I don't know how to describe it any better than that. That's kind of what drives me nuts about most of this is it's people just getting upset for the desire to get upset and running their mouth on stuff and people responding because there's this like insular universe where like what these people are saying matters and it's like, yeah, why? And, and that's one of the things I think that we're going to see quickly is at a certain point, like people are just going to stop spending money with them, especially like, like, you know, you and I both really haven't felt any financial impact from this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But you know, obvious, it's obvious that we could any day, any one of us, you know, or one of our, you know, spouses lose their job. Um, and you know, both of us are well off enough and earn enough that it wouldn't be the end of the world that one of them lost their job as long as another job came around. You know what I mean? Like, but that's where I think what you're going to see is like when these companies can't get people to buy their stuff because they allowed, instead of stepping in as like a business and saying, no, 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 like we're done with this. This isn't we're we're not allowing this sort of thing to happen anymore. We're going to shut this sort of nonsense down. Um, right. And we're not going to listen to you. We don't care what you say, like destroy a Starbucks. Like there's 14,000 of us, you know what I mean? Like, um, so that's where I, you know, I think it's going to be that like people are going to be quickly surprised when, hmm. People just kind of go like, what do you mean? We don't have any customers anymore. It's like, yeah, we, we, you don't have any money and you're, you're kind of a lot of the time pushing, you know, it's, it's people who don't have any money and don't have any like thing to stand behind. So it's like, like, okay, so what do you, what do you think you're doing? Yeah, like you, yeah, who, who, I, I see what you're saying. You know, it's like okay, no one's going to buy anything that you've got. So, well, particularly in the wine industry, because it does tend to be a uh, a higher income industry in general. And, and actually, uh, kind of to go back to the the AA 
WWE. Uh, they do actually recently, they had a pretty interesting post that talks about uh, beer versus wine income levels. Yeah, and here it is actually is that um, so average household spending on wine and beer and median income in us uh, counties uh, as of 2019. And it basically shows that uh, the majority of, this is median household and yeah. So as household income goes up, spending on wine also goes up mm-hmm. and with beer, it does go up as well, but it kind of tapers off around, um, around like the, the, the average spending on beer kind of tapers off, uh, around a hundred thousand dollars for the household income. Mm-hmm. Whereas like when, as you, as you get so when you're down at like close to twenty thousand dollars a year, you basically are spending like less than fifty dollars a year on wine. But the, it exponentially grows as you go up and up and up, and then it just continues to grow. Whereas with beer, it just kind of flattens out. So like for the wine industry, if you if you want to talk about it, not just not on political beliefs or anything, but purely from a socioeconomic status or whatever, you want to do stuff that would favor people who have money to spend, not you know the people occupying Chaz or whatever mm-hmm. who have no money and are not buying wine. Yeah. So, uh, so I think that's interesting. I, I, I might start doing some more stuff from AAWE just cause they, they're interesting and they have interesting stuff. Uh, I want to run through one more chart just cause I think that this one was also very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, wine industries contributions to presidential candidates, 2019 and 2020. Uh, so this is I'll do I'll just do the quick breakdown. I won't do it by I won't break it down by gender. I'll just do the uh, top five candidates. So uh, Trump had 108 unique donors um, and I will I'm going to skip all the stuff in the middle and just do total, which uh, totals uh, two hundred fifty two thousand uh, dollars. Biden came in second with seventy nine unique donors and total fifty five thousand dollars. Sanders. Uh, as far as, well, actually, I don't know how they're ordering this, but Sanders, they put in third, even though he made more than Biden. Uh, Sanders with 187 unique donations. So uh, 79 more than Trump, which is interesting. Uh, $70,000. And Warren with 69, nice, uh, unique donations, uh, totaling $31,000. And Kamala Harris with 19 unique donations at and totaling $10,000. So just kind of an interesting, like they, they just put these interesting charts out, I think. And uh, they do break it down by gender, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, you know, needless to say, more men give to Trump than women. And uh, although more women give to Trump than give to Biden, but it's much closer. So uh, just an interesting, interesting uh Interesting follow on Twitter. They come up with, they just have a lot of charts out and stuff like that. They They mostly do... It, it's it's all wine related stuff, so a lot of it has to do with like how much of X wine are people drinking, uh, you know, um, wine growth by acres sown, uh, champagne prices per capita, things like that. Like it's 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 really interesting data. So we might go over it some more um, if I see something that's interesting. But I thought that was particularly interesting because it sort of highlights the. Uh, I guess the acceleration of division in the country or perceived division. I mean, I exist a lot on Twitter and mm-hmm. so it seems like hyper divided to me, but at the same time, like uh, although we do have riots and we do have uh, mass protests and that sort of stuff, I don't know how mass they are. I will share my anecdote uh, about protests in the Dallas area. I had to go over to the apartment the other mm-hmm. day um, to, cause I thought something got shipped there, but it didn't. But um I, while I was over there, I was like, well, I'm going to drive through downtown and just see what's going on just to see, just to see. And I drove around my old neighborhood in downtown area and there was a lot of windows broken and they had them boarded up. And, but it wasn't too bad. It was just, you know, I've seen, I've seen windows broken there before because like after a, a hockey game or something like that, people get out, they get, get rowdy and crazy. They throw something through a window and it breaks a window. But uh, this was a lot more than that. It was, you know, it was pretty damaged. And then um, I went ahead and drove downtown and that was pretty interesting. It was not as damaged as I I think the media – well, I wouldn't even say the media. is Twitter 
made me expect it to be. Mm-hmm. It, it looked pretty much like downtown, uh, but there was a lot of broken windows and stuff like that. So uh, kind of interesting. Um, I'm I'm glad I don't live down there. I'm glad I live in the burbs now. But um, all in all, uh, yeah, didn't seem too bad. I hope everything kind of settles too. down. <laughs> What's that? I said I'm glad you don't live down there too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all in all, I think I think uh, I think things are going to be okay. I think that uh, despite a lot of unrest and people being unhappy and stuff like that, I think overall uh, life is generally going to be getting better for people in the future. And um, I think everything is going to be okay. I think, I think we'll be all right. I think it seems kind of scary right now, but uh, you know, birthing pains, we're birthing a new, better world. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So that's all I got to say. I agree. You you want to cover anything else? No, um, you can find us at Tasting Anarchy, uh, tastinganarchy.com, Tasting Anarchy on Twitter, tastinganarchy at gmail.com. You can follow Childerberg, which is our once, our annual event in Middle Texas. Um, for yeah, Liberty Lovers. Central, and, Central Texas. Yeah, Central Texas. For Liberty Lovers and people who, you know, want to get out, see different, see the world, meet people in the uh, Liberty movement, um, hang out and have, you know, community and be around people who will get your weird jokes, like, uh, get in the bag. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. Just a, a good fun time. Yeah, I think so too. All right. Uh, for um, us at tasting anarchy, stay free, stay free. Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peterstown, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Horton sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willie's Den. He wasn't selling for the American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel. Have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Somebody's fifth and somebody's fourth. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine.